We're going to move on to chapter 17. Before we do that, let's uh, let's pray again. Uh, ask the Lord to continue to bless us as he's been through the worship time and now through the proclamation of his word. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning that we were allowed to gather to worship you and that you would accept our worship, Lord God, as our sister Rose explained, even as broken vessels. Uh, we praise you and glorify you only because of what you have done for us. And we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord God, that your spirit would speak to us as we open your word and proclaim your word. We ask that you would bless it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, So open up John 17. We're going to look at, uh, I think, a very important passage, so important that we're going to take probably three weeks to go through it. That's why I've entitled uh, this morning's message, The Prayer of Jesus, Part 1. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're going to really focus on verses 1 through 5. And this is Jesus' final prayer before he heads to the place of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as you'll see in a few moments, everything in Jesus' ministry has been geared towards this point. Uh, It is this point in his life that he had come. And we'll see that in a few moments. This prayer is sometimes referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's because he prays for his disciples in this prayer. And this prayer is really going to be, it's going to be broken up in three parts. The first one this morning is Jesus prays for himself. And then next week or maybe the week after, I'm not sure yet, uh, we're going to look at him praying for his disciples, the, the 11 apostles that are with him. And then the last part is he's praying for the church universal, which includes you and me. Wouldn't you like to know what Jesus has prayed for, for you in particular? The Lord is praying for you. That's awesome to think that the creator of the universe prays for his children. And so we'll look at that in the next few weeks. Obviously, you could read ahead and study it, but we're going we're gonna to really dive into it. And, and hopefully, uh, you get a lot out of it as I teach God's word. And my desire as we study this passage over the next few weeks is is for us to better understand our Lord Jesus, especially today. Really understand who he is, his passion for his people and his deep desire for his church. But more importantly, not only I pray that you understand it, but that it also causes you to love the Lord more because of it. There needs to be action to what we believe. And again, I pray over the next few weeks as we study this prayer, that will really become evident. And you leave church every week, and not just over this study, but all the time, desiring to know the Lord more, desiring to serve him more. And so uh, that's my prayer. With that said, let's go ahead and look at Jesus's prayer. We're going to read through all the way to verse 26, the entire chapter. But again, as I said, we're going to focus specifically on verses 1 through 5. And then, as always, make some application and what we can take from the prayer of Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given to me. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood them that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they, they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but those who also, excuse me, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. And you can see why we're going to break it up into a few different weeks. So there's just a lot there, and, and I want to deliberately go slow because I think it's important. There's, there's really no rush to get through this. And so I just want to take time. And, and so with that said, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And again, specifically see what Jesus prays for himself. So he addresses in the very beginning, he addresses uh, God the Father. Uh, and you might ask, well, if Jesus is God, why is he even praying? Is he, is he praying to himself? No, it's, it's specific here. I'm not going to spend too much time discussing the Trinity, but note this. He's praying to the Father. God is one, 
one God, yet he exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is subordinate to the Father, which is why he is praying to the Father. And Jesus is in his humanity. He's living as a human being, obviously it's still God, but yet there's some limitations he took. That's why it says that Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a bondservant. So there's some things that he uh, withheld or relinquished when he took on the form of a human being. And one of those is he's obviously not with God the Father. So he has to pray and talk to God the Father just like you and I do. And so that's why he addresses from the beginning, Father. He's praying to the Father. Again, Jesus is subject to him, thus he's demonstrating this through his prayer. If you think about it, when we pray, we're in our essence humbling ourselves before God, realizing that we need something, that we are not all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sufficient. We lack something, therefore we pray to God and acknowledge he is greater than us. I think that's why some people, just as a side note, have a problem with prayer. They're very prideful. They don't like admitting that they need something or, they, or acknowledging somebody is greater than them, therefore they don't pray. That's just a personal thought of mine. Um, with that said, by the way, we have prayer meeting tomorrow, so if you don't show up, that means you're very prideful. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding because I won't be there. You know, I'm just I already told the prayer group, hey, me and Mindy, we had plans. We're not going to be there. But I just did want to remind you it's an important part of our church, and we want to make it an important part. And so if you're free tomorrow, 7 p.m., every Monday from this point forward until the second coming, we're praying, right? Amen. So join us for prayer. Bring prayer requests. Pray for our country. Pray for our church. Pray for the, the body in general. So just a side note. Okay. So prayer. Jesus is praying, and Jesus acknowledges to God the Father, if you notice in in verse 1, the hour has come. What is this hour that he's talking about? It's the, the hour which had come was the hour of his glorification through his death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Again, I mentioned at the beginning that this, the whole point of Jesus' ministry has been to this point, this hour, And this is the very purpose that our Lord had come. Jesus was now going to demonstrate the full reality of his deity. Because again, as we mentioned last week, if you remember, he had proclaimed that he was going to be betrayed, handed over to the authorities, crucified, and resurrect. And therefore, if he does those things, he demonstrates that he truly is God. And so he's Come for this hour, he's going to glorify himself. He's going to do all these things, and he's going to inaugurate the new covenant of God by going to the cross. Up until now, up to this point, if you've been following along in the Gospel of John, every, there's been a few instances where Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. This hour that he's talking about now, you might remember at the wedding of Cana, this is one of the first times that he says this in John chapter 2, verse 4. When his mother was asking him to, you know, we're out of wine, son. We, you know, we need to do something. And remember, Jesus says to to his mom, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. The hour to fully demonstrate his deity. And then to the religious leaders in, in two different chapters of John, John 7, verse 30, 
John 8, verse 20. These verses will come up. When they were going to arrest him, it was in it, Jesus always eluded them. Why? Because they didn't know who he was, or they couldn't grab him, or Jesus was too tough for them, or the disciples fought him off. No, look at what the scripture says. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hands on them because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't the hour for Jesus to be turned over. Remember, Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down myself. And then again in John 8, 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Over and over in the Gospel of John, that is a theme. Jesus' hour had not yet come. His time had not yet come. And even at the time of his, as the glorification, this moment drew closer and closer, Jesus began to say that his hour had come, that it was time. He says this as the Gentiles, you remember in John chapter 12, verse 23, as the Gentiles now begin to come towards Jesus and they approach him, and they want to see Jesus now. Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified because it isn't until that Jesus dies on the cross and resurrects that salvation is now offered in mass to Gentiles. And Jesus earlier declared the purpose of this hour also in John chapter 12, verse 27. My soul has become troubled as he realizes the time of his crucifixion is near. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I come to this hour. Jesus was well aware what he had come for and what his purpose was. And now his hour had come. And so what is Jesus's request? As we look back at John chapter 17, verse one, he says, Father, the hour has come. And here's his first request. Glorify your son. To be glorified means to literally be to be clothed with splendor. Jesus wants to be raised up to a prominent position. And we'll see it's not because he's prideful. Jesus wants all men to look to him, to praise him. He wants everyone to be drawn to him to see who he really is. He's saying, Father, glorify me now. You know, oftentimes in the Gospels, we'll see that Jesus hides himself. And even when he teaches, he hides what he's saying because it isn't his time. But now it is his time to reveal his full deity. And he's asking the Father to glorify him. Again, in John 12, verse 28. He says this earlier in a prayer to the father. He says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it. This is why Jesus wanted to be glorified. Why? Look at verse one of chapter 17 again. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Again, not because he's prideful that the son may glorify you. He's all lift me up. Glorify me so I can glorify you. And as I read just a minute ago in uh, John 12, 28, that's when he said, Father, glorify your name. And that's why that voice came out and says, I've glor- I'm going to glorify it, and I have glorified it in his servant and son, Jesus Christ. The glorification of Jesus would result in the glorification of the Father. So again, Jesus isn't wanting to be praised just because who he is, although he does deserve it. In this instance, he wants to be glorified so that he can point everybody to the Father. And Jesus had been saying this throughout his ministry. Remember when he was when he was arguing with the religious leaders, he's like, I came to glorify my father. 
You guys don't glorify the Father. And they were always fighting because of that, what Jesus was saying. And again, how does Jesus glorify the Father? By revealing who the Father is. Again, that's one of the reasons he came was to let everybody know who God truly is. If you go back with me in John chapter 14, you remember with his disciples after he said, I'm going to my father's house. And the disciples were trying to understand what he was talking about. And and that's in John 14, verse seven. And trying to explain his deity and who he was and his mission and where he was going. He tells the disciples, if you had known me, you would have known my father. Also, from now on, you know him and you have seen him, the father. And Philip, like anybody else, I'm sure, says to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough. And Jesus says, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? These words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but that a Father abiding me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Again, Jesus is explaining to his disciples I'm revealing you to the I'm revealing the father to you. You will fully understand who I am and who the father is and and the understanding of who God is. He's like, I've been revealing him to you over and over again. Have you not caught that yet? And here again in John chapter 17, Jesus is saying, Father, fully glorify me so that I can glorify you. I can point other people to you. I like what one commentator says about this section. He says, Jesus glories, glorifies the Father in this act of sovereignty of God over evil, the compassion of God for men, and the final redemption for believers. This is how God is glorified. God's salvation is finally going to be realized by all people or understood by all people. And in verses 2 and 3, we're we're shown how does Jesus glorify the Father even more? Look at verse 2 of our text again in John chapter 17. He goes, even as you have authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given me, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So Jesus glorifies the Father by revealing who the Father is and giving eternal life to all who the Father has called to himself. So the question may be, who does the Father give to Jesus? Well, if you looked at back in John, I mean, throughout the gospel, really, and I'll just read this section of the verse to you because I don't think I have it up. It's John 5, 24. Jesus said, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Those who believe in the Father and hear the words of Christ and believe in him, they have eternal life. And those are the ones who are given to Jesus Christ because they believe and the Father gives it to them and he gives them eternal life. So there's there's two parts. We have to believe and then we are called to God. So to give eternal life to those who the Father gives him, this is how Jesus glorifies the Father. He reveals to everybody who the Father is. And then he gives them eternal life once they believe. 
And so that might beg the question, well, what does it mean to believe? Do you just believe a set of, of uh, doctrines? Do you just have an intellectual understanding of who God is? I'm going to say this, that eternal life is not gained by a mere intellectual knowledge of the existence of God. Just because someone says, yeah, I believe in God or I believe that I believe Jesus existed. Does that mean they have eternal life? Eternal life, again, is not gained by understanding some doctrines in the church or some truths about God. I think it's James who tells us that even the demons believe and shudder. Believing is so much more than that. It's not just lip service. It's not just religious good works. That I, I came to church every Sunday. I raised my hands. I worshiped. I, I took part of offering. Is, is that mean, does that mean you have eternal life? Let me show you something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where all those things don't evidence eternal life or give you eternal life, I should say. In John, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, he was he was uh, ending a, a parable, you know, about entering eternal life. And he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. Maybe you yourself call Jesus Lord. You acknowledge that Jesus is Lord or you think Jesus is Lord. Jesus right here is saying not everybody who says it will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who enters? But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. So it's more than just lip service. And again, I like what Rose said, if you remember at the beginning when she started and she gave that word of exhortation. It's, it's not that you proclaim the gospel. It's that you just live it out. There's, an, there's evidence. There's transformation in your life. You can't just say, well, I was raised in the church. You know, my kids can't stand before God and say, hey, my dad was the pastor and I had to go through church every Sunday, sit through staff meetings. They're, he's like, so? My kids will enter heaven on their own belief in Jesus Christ. They cannot cling to the faith of me or my wife. And parents can't cling to, the, to faith through their kids. Each and every person in this room and every person throughout world history will stand before God by themselves. Not only not look at verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. So here's somebody standing before God saying, I've done religious good deeds. I mean, how many of us in here can say we've prophesied in the name of the Lord, cast out demons in the name of the Lord, performed many miracles? I know I can't. Here's somebody that's done something truly amazing. And what does the Lord say to them in verse 23? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is deeper than an intellectual knowledge. It is deeper than religious good works. Jesus here says, uh, you've practiced lawlessness. 
Now, we don't have time to, to exegete that verse, but, it, but it's telling us that there's something more than the intellectual uh, knowledge of Christ that leads to salvation. It's something more than religious good works that lead to salvation. It's something more than that. Eternal life is, and we can get from, let me just point out a few things, is, is it's knowing the Father that is involved. It's knowing the true God, as Jesus said here back in our text. If you go back to John 17, right? He said, even as you gave authority to all flesh and to all whom you have given, he may give eternal life. Look at verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. So knowing the only true God is involved. You have to know God. But again, it's more than the intellectual knowledge. It's an intimate fellowship with God. And it's knowing Jesus, who has been sent by the Father. To know God, the Father, is to know Jesus, the Son. Jesus, the Son of God. You have to know both. Where Jesus said in John 14, we'll find it real quickly. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So that means Jesus is claiming uh, exclusivity of religion. It's not all roads lead to God. Well, they do in some sense. Everyone will stand before God. But when somebody says it, they're saying salvation could go through many roads and many paths. And Jesus here is saying, no, there's only one path. So either Jesus is right or another religion is right, or they're all wrong. They can't all be right. There's only one true way to God. And we as believers hold to this way through Jesus Christ because we believe that he was sent by God. So there, there also is an intimate exchange of knowledge, not only between us and God, our, our knowing God. He also has to know us. Remember in, in, Mar, in Matthew, it says, I don't know you. God doesn't know you. Wouldn't that be a scary word to hear from God when you stand before him? He's like, I don't know you. You're like, well, I was in church. <laughs> I had a Bible. I had the big study Bible. It's like, I don't know you. So there, it, right there it tells us that it's more than just a head knowledge. It's an intimate relationship. I like what Paul says about this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He gives us a little, uh, another example of God knowing us. In uh, Galatians 4, 8 and 9, he says, he says, however, at that time, he's talking to the church who is maybe slipping away from God and falling after other things. He goes, when you did not know God, so he's talking about their past, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have been, but now that you have come to know God, and look what he says here, or rather to be known by God. He's saying God knows you. There's an intimate knowledge of God of you. I know who you are. Why? Because we spend time together. There's an intimate relationship with him. I've come through the son to get to the father and he knows me. So eternal life is more than just an intellectual acknowledgement of some facts about God. It's knowing the father. It's knowing Jesus Christ, his son. And there's an intimate exchange of knowledge between you and God. And in things that we live for. 
So knowing God is more than, again, just a head knowledge. It's trusting him. It's having a personal relationship with him. It's having faith in him, believing him. And it's loving God. Do you love God? That's a question for each and every person to ask himself. Do you truly love God or do you just know who he is? Because Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. That was one of the two greatest commands, wasn't it? When they asked, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. That's something for us to think about. Do you? Do we? Do I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? My entire being, that's salvation. And it's given to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. Remember, in Matthew, he said, those who do the will of my Father, those who, come, those who, are, in, those who are allowed to enter in. So let's go back to our text now. So that was just that was Jesus's first request. Lord, glorify me so that I may glorify you. And then he asked again to be glorified. Look at verse four. He says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given to me. And now this is Jesus second request in his prayer. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. What's going on here? Well, now Jesus is saying, hey, my mission is going to be complete here. I've glorified you on the earth by doing all that you've called me to do, by completing the mission that you've given me. And now he's requesting that God the Father glorifies him with himself, just as they were before the foundations of the world. Here's another example of Jesus existing before the world was created. Basically, it's Jesus saying, Father, I want to be with you again. I want to go back to how it was before. I had to come down to this earth. Now I want to go back to heaven. I want to go home. I see it as he desired that triune fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit that he had once before. Because, again, he took on the form of a man. And so he relinquished some of his deity to come down here in a sense or maybe some attributes, especially the fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's like, I want that again. I'm finished. it. I want to go back home. He's ready. I I really believe that's what he's saying here. I want to be glorified again as I was at one time. And he knows it's going to happen. And so he looks forward to that time. He's like, hey, when I'm done, call me home. So I can have that fellowship once again. I can be glorified with the Son, or excuse me, with the Spirit and with the Father. I don't know if you get that sense from Jesus that he just wants to go home now. I mean, just think about what's right before him. He knows it. I'm going to be abandoned by all my disciples. I'm going to be... you know, another one's going to turn me in. He's going to kiss me in a few minutes and turn me in, call me teacher. And then people are going to torture me and beat me and kill me. I'm ready to go home. So what can we apply as we're going to stop there? 
and uh, because this is where Jesus ends talking about himself, I believe, in this prayer. But what can we apply from the prayer of Jesus to our lives, to your life, and to my life, individually? I think there's a few things that we can take from this. Number one, are your prayers aimed at bringing glory to God? When Jesus prayed, he says, Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. That's something for us to think about. When we pray, the things that we pray for and ask for, is it, for, is it to bring glory to God or to bring glory to myself? That's a good test for us. Does that mean you can't pray for something that might in some way not bring glory to God? Well, it just depends what it is, you know. Ask for anything as long as it brings glory to God, you know. Is it a new job? Is it a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife? Is it a school? Is it, can it bring glory to God? Can you bring glory to God through those things? And I would say, yeah, pray for it. You know, are there some things like, hey, I want to pray for my football team to win? Well, I mean, I don't know. Aren't there Christians on the other side, too? I don't really know if God cares about that. So there's those things, you know. But there are things, the things that we really deeply care for and pray about. You know, is it for the glory of God or for ourselves? And that's just something to ask ourselves. I think we could take that from the example of Jesus when he's praying. Glorify your son. Again, it wasn't for his for his own self, but it was so that the son may glorify you in verse one. Are your prayers aimed at bringing glory to God? Number two. Are we using our lives to bring glory to God? That's what Jesus did, right? His whole purpose for being here was to bring salvation to all men by glorifying God through the process. So each of us as believers need to ask ourselves, are we using our lives to bring glory to God? Or are we being very selfish with our lives? Because our lives were given to us by God for his glory. Therefore, we should spend our time glorifying the Lord in all the things that we do. It's a good thing to ask yourself when you're about to go do something or get involved in something. Can I bring glory to God in this? That will keep us out of a lot of trouble. I, I promise you that. But a more important question that each and every one of us needs to ask this morning is, do we really know God? Do you really know God? I spent a lot of time talking about that a few moments ago, what it means to know God. Do you just know him intellectually? Or do you really know God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? And do you love him the same way? That's a question that only we as individuals can ask ourselves. It might look like somebody loves God with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul. And they're only fooling everybody else. Because when they stand before God, God's going to say, what? I never knew you. They're like, but, but, I never knew you. That's a scary thought. And I think about that often. I don't, I don't want that said. Hey, I pastored a church. So it's like, so? I never knew you. And I'm sure that's going to happen to some pastors. Never knew you. It was, it was a job. It was a, a way of being popular. You know, I don't know what it is. But each and every one of you this morning needs to ask yourself that. It's like, hey, well, you know my dad. No, I didn't know you. I knew, you know my mom. I didn't know you. You know, I know, you know my children, but I didn't know you. It's an individual. 
And I really don't want to leave this morning until you can answer that question for yourself. Do you truly know God? I think we could take that from this morning's uh, scripture. Remember, eternal life is this, that you, that they, Jesus says in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Only, I didn't even notice that, the only true God, not one of many gods, the only true God. So the fourth thing that we can take from this morning's sermon is this, are we completing the work God has given us? For those of you that are involved in ministry or serving God in some capacity, whether it's here or outside, can you say that about yourself? Remember, Jesus at the end here is saying, I've, I've accomplished all that you've given me. Now it's, I'm ready to go. It's something to ask ourselves when we, when, we, when we sign up for a ministry or we feel like God's calling us into ministry or doing something here at the church. Are you completing the work God has given to you? Or are you doing it, you know, 50%? I mean, think of that. God can use a number of people, and any time he can remove each and every one of us out of the things that we're serving in, wouldn't you want to say that you're completing the work God has given you? I'm going to complete it. I'm not going to give up. Uh, you know, when hard times come or when trials come, or I'm not in the mood, I'm going to give up. You don't think Jesus ever had hard times or trials or was it in the mood? I mean, you study the life of Jesus, he's full of disappointment by all those people around him. Or the Apostle Paul as well, full of disappointment. Churches backsliding, people leaving him alone, you know, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being stoned, being thrown out of the city, and he just gets back up and goes right back in. Some of us can't take one, you know, tiny little bit of persecution or somebody being mean to us a little bit. We want to stop. I'm done with serving people. If you don't want people to be mean to you, then don't serve in the church, for sure. If you don't want to have trials and tribulation, don't serve God, then. Because guess what? They're going to come. As a matter of fact, don't even be a believer. <laughs> Didn't we study last week? Jesus says that you're going to, you know, tribulation is coming. You're going to be in tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Ask you, are you completing the work God has given you? And lastly, we'll conclude on this one. Are you longing to be with the Lord in glory? Remember, Jesus said, Lord, I want the glory that I had once before. I want to go home. Do you desire to be with the Lord in glory? Or are you like, no, I, I, I like this world way too much. I, Lord, you could come back like in 50 years, you know, after I've done all the things that I want to do. Sometimes we think like that. I understand that we live in a world where it's pretty good here in, in you know, Western civilization. But I guarantee if you were in a third world country, a country where Christianity is heavily persecuted, we'd be like, come Lord Jesus. You know, and maybe some days you feel like that, come Lord Jesus. And that doesn't mean we have to like be morbid. I just want to die today, you know, and go and go with the Lord. But when you think of the Lord returning, how does that make you feel? Do you want you look forward to that day? I want to be with the Lord in glory. Or are you like, no, I'm good. You can wait a little while. I want to wait till I do this or do that. You know, I remember as a young believer, thinking that, well, I want to wait till I get married. I want to wait till I have kids. I want to wait till I finish school. And that's you're always going to be. I want to wait for this because I didn't truly understand what it means to be at home with the Lord in glory. And I think as we grow in our understanding, 
the more and more we understand we want to be there. I think the only reason we shouldn't want to be there is because there's so many people that we know that don't know the Lord. And if the Lord were to return today, they would not be with him in glory. They would suffer eternal torment away from God for all eternity. And I think when I say, Lord, come, I'm, I'm thinking of people that don't know the Lord. I'm like, well, I'll just wait till they get saved. <laughs> you know, that's what I think. But it should prompt me to, to evangelize more, share the gospel more, invite people to church more. If we're truly worried about that. So again, just real quickly, what can we apply to our lives? These five questions. Are your prayers aimed at bringing glory to God? Are we using our lives to bring glory to God? Do you really know God yourself? Are we, con- are we completing the work God has given us? And lastly, are we longing to be with the Lord in glory? Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the example and the model that you've given us in this text. That we get to see your heart. We get to see Jesus praying to the Father. And I pray, Lord God, that we would take these examples this morning and apply them to our lives. Lord, that each and every one of us, before we pray, that we would think about praying for your glory in the things that we request and those people that we intercede for. Lord, I pray also that we would be using our lives to bring you honor and glory so that more people might come to know you. And I pray, Lord, that we ourselves would truly know you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in this room this morning and hearing that doesn't really know if they know you, they may know about you, but they don't truly know you. They can't say, I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. I pray that we would all be able to say that or at least say, Lord, I want to. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all, the mind, with all my mind. I pray, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to those men and women this morning who are struggling with that. That they would not rely on the faith of somebody else but they would come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of you on their own. Lord, I also pray for those who serve in ministry or are thinking about serving or have served in the past. Lord, that when they are serving, that they would serve with the desire to complete the work that you have given them for your glory. And Lord, I pray this morning as we as believers that we would look forward to the day that you would return, that you would exact justice, that you would right every wrong. Lord, that we would inherit the kingdom of heaven fully, that we would be resurrected with new bodies in a place where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more disease, no more evil, no more sin, the perfect world because you are there and we are with you in glory we pray with the with the church body universal we pray what the apostle paul or the apostle john wrote in the book of revelation come quickly lord jesus we pray for our friends and family who have yet to know you we pray lord god that you would work in their hearts and their minds even now as they're at home or wherever they are 
that you would bring conviction to them, that you would not let them sleep a night of peace until they give their lives to you, knowing that it is you calling out to them. We pray for our brothers and sisters who struggle in following after you and have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, that you would convict them and bring them back, that they could truly say that they love you with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and they would see you as the chief aim of life. We pray this, Lord, and thank you for this morning. We ask that you would help us to live a life for your glory through the power of your Holy Spirit, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.